0: Hello and welcome to The Premed Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host Dr. Ryan Gray and in this podcast we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Premed Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. These are some of my favorite episodes where I get to go directly to the source. When I started what was then known as the Medical School HQ podcast and medicalschoolhq.net, I was tired of reading about information from students, pre-meds helping pre-meds based on what they learned from other pre-meds. That's what you get on other sites. That's not what you get here on the pre-med years. When I started Medical School HQ, I said I wanted to go to the data. I wanted to go to the people, the decision makers. And yes, these are still anecdotal stories, right? But these are stories of People who are making decisions on thousands of applications and not just a student saying, here's what worked for me. Today, we're talking to Andrea O'Brien, Director of Admissions at A.T. Still University, the Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine, the original osteopathic medical school. And we have a great discussion about what she looks for for admissions. In, in terms of just the whole process and how students get in and what makes them not get in and all of that kind of good stuff. Again, this is still one person's opinion, but she is leading the admissions process at a medical school and reviewing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of applications year after year after year. And so while she's only speaking for her, her school, a lot of this information is transferable to other schools as well. Before we jump in and say hello to Andrea, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Obviously, the MCAT is unfortunately, one of the more important parts of this process, you have to do good enough. Good enough is depending on each medical school where they consider good enough. But to do good enough, what does that mean? Well, you have to prepare for the MCAT. You have to know how to prepare for the MCAT. And you have to know how to schedule when to prepare for the MCAT. And how to schedule that is by going over to blueprintmcat.com and using their free amazing study planner tool that you get with their free account. If you go to blueprintmcat.com, click on free resources and then click on any of those scroll down to the bottom fill out that form and get your free account today blueprintmcat.com let's go and jump in say hello to Andrea O'Brien director of admissions at A.T. Still University Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine Andrea welcome to the pre-med years thank you so much for joining me
1: Oh, Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Excited to have you. You are Director of Admissions at A.T. Still University in Kirksville, Missouri, not to be confused with the Arizona campus. Why, Why Director of Admissions at a medical school? How did you get into this world?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, I've always worked in student affairs, and I basically spent, kind of cut my teeth in residence life. So I spent many, many years working in residence life as a director, and loving, loving, loving just working with students. And this opportunity came across um, my, my radar, and I looked into it, and I thought, you know what? I could not have the 24-7 calls of students that don't know how to live their life yet and <laughs> make good decisions. And I could just do what I love to do and work with students on professional development. So that was very key in my decision-making, and I came over here about 14 years ago, and I love this profession.
0: A lot of people listening to this, they're, they're pre-med students, their dream is to go to medical school, and they consider you, the director of admissions, the admissions committee, the admissions office, as this big, bad beast that, that destroys dreams. But oh, I get to interact hard, with so many of you and you you all are so passionate about this position. What do you love the most about interacting with these these pre-meds and medical students?
1: Oh, gosh. How much time do we have? Here? <laughs> There's so much because you know, we we hit the road, we're talking to students in their undergrad and when they're just in their formation years, so they're really just starting to figure out what they want to do. Um talking to them as a sophomore or maybe a freshman, sometimes a junior. Um, but we're, you know, we're seeing the passion in their eyes. We we know what they want to do. And so oftentimes, because it's such a long, lengthy process of getting from A to B or, you know, from where they are to where they want to get into school. Um, and there's a lot of people telling them what to do along the way, but it's kind of intimidating sometimes for them to, you know, talk to us sometimes, which kind of breaks my heart. But um but when you talk with them and you try to break it down and they're like, oh, okay, it is long and lengthy. There are a lot of things to do, but that that's doable. Like mm-hmm. I can do that. Now I know what my roadmap is and what I need to do to follow that. And then you see them do that and you see them develop and you, develop, you, know, you build those relationships with people. And I'm a very relationship-centered person. And so when I see those students come in later and they come in for the interview, Hopefully again, they've done everything that we've asked them to do. Um, And they come into med school and then they graduate from med school. And you just, I don't know, I've been in this long enough that I see the whole process. I see from when they're a freshmen to when they're finishing residency and they're living their life now, they're living the dream. And it's just, you know, being able to see that process and know that we were just a small part of the healthcare that they're now providing to thousands of people and that, that's just such an honor, I guess, to be able to be a little bit of that process to um, to help deliver that, you know, care to people. Um, but it's just, you know, being able to help, just being able to, to break it down, give that advice, uh, especially when things aren't going quite so well, trying to help them either figure out how to redirect or maybe sometimes what else can I do? Yeah. So, I don't know. There's so many I could go on and on.
0: <laughs> so you, you've yeah. been doing this for a while. I've been doing this for a while. Uh, tell me the truth. Do you have anxiety when you go to the doctor now? It's like, oh, is someone going to be there that recognized me? One of my students.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there, there have been a couple times when <laughs> I, we had students rotating and it was a rather sensitive <laughs> visit and I no offense to the student, I'm like I, I can't have you in the room with this particular thing. It's yeah. just there's still still a little too much knowledge <laughs> there that I don't want you to have. So. <laughs> I
0: I went to a cardiologist appointment uh, a, a year or so ago, and the 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 woman checking me in looked at me weird. And after after the first normal like couple questions, name, date of birth stuff, she's like. Do you make YouTube videos? And I'm like, ah, oh. oh, no. Really, <laughs> yep. I watched you That's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's a privilege and, and it's awesome. So you've been in this role for a while. You've seen probably as much as anyone else out there—the good, the bad, the ugly—and and you do go out and you recruit students and you talk to them and give them advice, which is great. I would love to have a conversation with you today about. The students who are uh, not the extremes, right? The ones that you're just like, you're not going to have a problem, kid, right? Hopefully do well in your interview. You're not going to have a problem based on what I'm looking at in your application. And you have the students looking at their application that you're just like, you're not ready. Please do not apply. Don't waste your money. What about the students who are just like, ah, like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what to do with you, right? You're kind of in that middle of like, you're, you've done a lot of great things, Mm -hmm. but let's talk about maybe some small adjustments, maybe before you apply, or if you do apply and don't get in some things to think about based on an application. How's that sound?
1: Right. And honestly, that's probably over 50% of the pool. You think so? There's not going to be, they're going to have so many offers. They don't even know what to do. And then you have your ones that are not strong performers and they may need to look honestly at some other career options Mm -hmm. but most most of the pool is within that middle 50th percentile
0: it's kind of standard bell curve distribution it
1: it honestly is and you know and i mean every every school may i don't know i don't i don't think all schools look that different than that i mean i don't know i don't see their application pools but um I don't I can't imagine they're a whole lot different than us. Yeah. And so you know when you're talking with students I I always start by asking what have you done? Like just tell me about yourself instead of you know when students come up to me and and say oh tell me about your school tell me this I'm like I can start with that. I can I can go on forever about that but I want to know what questions you really want to ask. Like, Mm -hmm. what's really the burning question? And so then they may ask a couple of things, but then I'll try to get them to share about who they are. Like, what's your background? What is, you know, what kind of academics do you have? What kind of experiences do you have? And we kind of start from there. And usually in in that process, there's usually an area of like, you probably need to work on this a little bit more. And so again, you've got that upper you know, I would almost say like 10%, 15%. That's a no brainer. Like you are going to get in, you're going to have so many offers. Everybody's going to want you. Um, but kind of from that point down, um, we got to figure out what we need to tweak. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes it's a lot of academics. Sometimes people had a really rough start Mm -hmm. to, to college and, um, you know, but But sometimes students in that situation, they think, oh, I have to be I have to be that 10 percent or I'm never going to get in. Yeah. And so sadly, there's a lot of students that that sway themselves away from this because they think I I'm not ever going to be that top 10. But it's like, no, there's most of the students getting into med school are more in that middle percentage. And and honestly, those people in that middle percentage category are probably more who we're looking for than than maybe even those top 10% because you have more rounded skills sometimes.
0: Yeah, I've talked to, uh, again, deans and directors that those students who struggle, hopefully a little bit earlier, not later, but struggle early and then show... Um, mm-hmm. Some recovery that shows you as an admissions officer, admissions committee, that when they struggle in their first semester anatomy course in med school, that they've already kind of learned some resiliency to Absolutely. to figure out how to improve. Is that is that something you look at?
1: Absolutely, yeah. When people have a semester, maybe an early st- you know rough start, um, we always want to know what happened. Mm-hmm but more so we want to know what they did to recover from that. So, okay. So you had a rough transition. Why was that? But then what did you learn from that? And how did you grow? Like what new skills did you develop to be successful from this point on? Because when you get to med school, you, you're probably every single student that goes to med school, even that top tier percent is going to hit those roadblocks. And they're the students that are, Figuring some of those those life lessons out earlier are going to have a better time adapting because they're going to know, you know what, I need to go get some tutoring Mm. versus you may have some high performers that have never hit a road bump in their life. And they're going to just keep toughing it out, keep trying to do what has always worked. And it's just sometimes going to dig a deeper hole. But the students that that are you know, learning some of those lessons earlier, they're able to realize I can't do this the way I've been doing it. So I need to get some help. And so, yeah, those roadblocks early, those those um, skill sets that they've developed over the years because of those those bumps in the road. We want to know about that. We want to hear about that. And so, you know, it's definitely not always going to keep you out of school, Um if you have those roadblocks all the way through your undergrad, well, then you're probably going to have to look at a master's program or some sort of post postgraduate program mm-hmm. to be able to show that, okay, now you're, now you're getting it. Now you're understanding that. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, there's definitely some skill sets we're looking for.
0: Do you all put any extra weight on master's level coursework or undergraduate level post back work?
1: We're really looking more at how you ended school. Okay. And so we don't have a separate GPA calculated out for like the last 60 or anything like that. But um, if somebody had, you know, a, a rougher patch, we're going to want to see how did you finish? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and it, it goes back to what, it, what happened and what did you do to recover? I wouldn't say that the master's level classes are weighted differently. Um, All the GPAs are calculated together at the bottom. So whether you just have undergrad or whether you have post-bac or graduate work included, that's all gonna come out in the cumulative GPA or the cumulative science. But we will definitely look at the caliber of the classes that you were taking, how many science classes you were taking at one time, what level of science classes those were. Mm -hmm. And so if you're taking a full load of graduate level hard science classes, and it's a full, a very full schedule and you're acing that, that's going to be a pretty, pretty good thing. Yeah. Even if, you know, leading up to your end of college was maybe not quite so strong.
0: Yeah. I, I love the distinction there, you, graduate level or, or undergrad, but the hard sciences. I think a yes. lot of students, some, somewhere along the way, they get in their head, master's level work, period. And then they kind of reflexively go and do an MPH and they think, oh, that's going to help me. From your perspective, MPH level work, good, bad, not going to help prove. The, The language that I typically use is you need to prove academic capability and an MPH isn't proving a scientific academic capability. I don't know if that's the same thought process you all have.
1: I would agree 100%. So, I mean, if you're interested in public health, and you are, you know, you have strong academics in your undergrad and you want to get that background prior to going to med school, yeah. do it. I mean, public health medicine is so much in need right now and so and it's going to continue to be in need and so um, you know, if that's an interest of yours, do it. But if you're doing it as an academic found, you know, trying to build a stronger academic foundation, That's not the program that is going to do that. You'll have epidemiology. You probably might have micro. You may have immuno, but maybe some of those programs don't even have, you have epidemiology for sure, but some of those other classes you don't have, there's not hard science. It's really about policy and about prevention and about health education in a lot of those public health programs. And so that is not going to be the, the, um, the academic builder that you're hoping for.
0: Yeah. A lot of students listening to this maybe in that kind of <laughs> the, the purga, purgatory world of like 3.1, 3.2, 3.3 GPA without maybe a significant upward trend. Is there a number that you always recommend or or mostly recommend students to try to shoot for or just based on math, right. If someone's graduated already, they have so many credits. It's really hard to move the needle. And so a common question we get is like, just like how many credits do I need to prove to you that what that's the past to me, right. I, I, I'm a better student now.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard to put a number on it, but I, I will say that if you're below a three, two, it's going to be really hard. Um, However, like I said, with a master's program that's hard sciences, um, we have one here at our, at our school that I believe is just a fantastic program. With, you know, And we have an agreement within our program that if students perform a B or above in all of their classes um, and, and do certain other things that they will have an automatic interview to our med school. So, you know, there are some pathway programs that they recognize the foundation they're getting here. Mm -hmm. and be able to transfer that on to med school. Um, but yeah, if you're coming in at a a 3.0 or below, or even a 3.1, and your last, you know, coming up to graduation and undergrad is, wasn't great. Then honestly, if, if med school is really the path that you're dead set on going into, then, um, yeah, just really looking at, at a strong science based program is going to be necessary.
0: Yeah, so let's let's talk about the four letter word uh, in this process, the MCAT, mm-hmm. <laughs> the the <laughs> test that students uh, hate. Um, when it comes to the MCAT, a big question that that I get a lot is is what happens if I need to take it again? And there's lots of fear of retaking it, and how schools are gonna look at that. Do you, how do you all look at, at retakes and needing, needing to improve that MCAT score?
1: Right. So most students, honestly, that we see have taken the MCAT more than once. Um, A lot of students have taken it twice. When students, I mean, I, I think it's, I mean, it is such a difficult exam and as much as students may try to prepare for it, I don't know that they have a full realistic version of what it really is. And, you know, and not just the the exam and the material, but the physical stamina and the pacing that they need to learn. And that's a test taking skill. That's not necessarily a skill about the material. It's a test taking skill. And so you have students that are academically prepared, but they have poor test-taking skills. And so that doesn't always bode well, right? So sometimes I go into this thinking, I know the material I've been doing, you know, I know this material. And they go in and they probably do the material, but the pacing and the time management is not in their favor. So they don't do well on the test. We as a school will look at their most recent score and put a lot more weight on that. I know there's some schools that will parcel out the top score within each, you know, within each category, they'll just look at the top score within that category.
0: Super score.
1: Super score. Yeah. Yeah. Other schools will um, just look at whatever their highest score was. Mm -hmm. They won't, you know, even if the most recent was, you know, two months ago, but last year they took it and they had a higher score. They'll look at that higher score. So every school is going to be different in, in their policy on that. we, Traditionally, we'll look at their last score. Mm-hmm. Um, we have absolutely no problem if somebody takes the exam more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if they are getting to the point where they're taking it four or five times, then that is a red flag, honestly, because, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I know there's a lot of debate on the validity of how much does one test score really dictate how well some students are going to do in school, in med school. Um, but the belief is out there that you still have to take boards. That's not belief. That's a fact. (laughs) And, um, as you know, (laughs) you still have to take boards, but the, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we have to have some sort of gauge as to your test taking abilities and your foundational knowledge. And so to be successful in med school, and that's one factor out of many. So it's not, you know, it's not like, um, We just look at the MCAT score. However, a low MCAT score will prevent people from getting an interview. Mm -hmm. So, again, it it is one factor, but it is a factor that we do do take seriously.
0: Yeah. How do you, again, kind of going to those recommendations for those students that are in that middle group, when a student is sitting there thinking, they're, they're going through the application process, they're not getting any interview invites, and they're sitting with a 504, 506 MCAT score that's just like, do I retake it? Do I not retake it? Maybe it's my extracurricular hours. Like, is there one thing that you could look at for, for the student who's questioning whether or not to sink all of that time and money and effort into another MCAT score to let them know, yes, retake right. it or no, you're probably fine.
1: I would say, look at what schools are you trying to apply to? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the school, you know, if you have a list of schools that are your top, say, 10, Mm -hmm. Um, I heard a stat today from the AAMC, Uh, I was at a meeting with them earlier, and they said that students that are applying to MD schools are applying on average to 17 schools. Mm -hmm. Well, in the osteopathic world, the average is about nine. Nine, yeah. And so that's always a stat I'd heard was usually eight to nine schools. But yep. regardless, what schools are you trying to apply to? That would be my first question. Mm-hmm. Because if you're trying to apply apply to, if your top 10 list is basically the top 10 tier schools in the entire country, and you're sitting at a 504, 506, MCAT, yeah well, you probably don't have a saving grace to get into those schools, unless there's some other factor that they're looking at that's gonna pull you into their pool of qualified candidates. Um, And I can't speak to other schools' processes, but um, you you have to, and I tell this to students all the time too, like you have to think of where do you want to apply. Mm -hmm. If you're applying to schools that, again, Look at, I always tell people, look at what their average incoming class stats look like. Mm-hmm. And beyond the clinical shadowing, beyond the extracurricular, just first start with what are their academic stats? Mm-hmm. Are you in line with that? Are you way, way, way below those? Are you way above those? Mm-hmm. If you're way above, well, you're not gonna have a problem academically. They're gonna, they're gonna love your application from the academic standpoint. But if you are way, 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 way below you might want to revise your list a little bit. And I'm not saying give up on those schools. I I firmly believe um, I told my son when he was going through PT school applications last year, have a reach school or two on your list, have a couple schools that you would love, love, love to get an interview at, or even acceptance at, but you feel like you are just not, you're not at their level, but you never know. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not a bad thing. If you can afford the extra application fees to have a, a school or two on your list that you would consider a reach yeah but you need to look at what are you more in line with and those are probably going to be schools that you're probably going to find more success
0: at yeah it's one of the things that um i my big mission right is increasing transparency in this whole process mm-hmm. and i would love uh and the mstar did this a little bit this past year with um, historically they've done the median mcat median gpa and then 10th 25th 75th and 90th percentiles this year they added mean gpa uh, and mcat score with standard deviation to add a little bit more transparency i would love for for them to do a box and whiskers kind of thing to show hey like this is the bottom mcat that we took which theoretically would mean that they'll accept if you're at that number, they potentially are gonna look at your application. Now, obviously mm-hmm. there's no guarantee. So I would just love more transparency from med schools on who, who passes the filters, right? Let's throw out all, <laughs> all of the, uh, the pretense, right? Schools have to filter based typically on, on MCAT and GPAs. Just tell us what that is so I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that, that's by my big mission. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's get off of stats because there are lots of times students who have the stats that pass the filters, land an application on a desk for a review. And that reviewer goes, no way. What are those things that trigger that? No way. So
1: there's a few things that come to mind right off the right off the top of my head. And one of those is just, they've only focused on academics. Mm -hmm. So everything that they've done is just in the, in the, in the classroom. But when you look at what their outside experiences are, it's next to none.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Or maybe they've been a member of a club for the last year or so, but it's very limited. Yeah. Um, But they're, you know, so they're, they're really not investing any extra time into developing themselves as a human and as a future healthcare professional. So that's, that's one thing we don't see that a ton. I mean, most students have tried to do something, um, but, you know, and, and some of those factors can be, can be offset if somebody has been you know, working full time while they're going to school full time, you know, they're, they're helping to support the family. Because, you know, maybe a parent is disabled or or they have a family story that they, um, you know, they need to contribute. And so they work full time. They need to pay for their own school because their family can't support that. So, you know, those things, we're definitely going to look at the whole picture. But when somebody has just recently started getting shadowing and they have hardly any shadowing at all, they have hardly any uh, really, view of the profession that they're trying to get into, mm-hmm. that that can be a huge red flag because, I mean, you're a physician, so you know this is not a fly by night career field. Mm-hmm. Um, It shouldn't be something that you just wake up, you know, in say June this year, and you're like, oh, two months, you know, a month ago, <laughs> like just,
0: like I'm the so called Fauci school. effect. It's like COVID. Yeah. Oh, all of a sudden, twenty thousand more students woke up and said, I'm applying to med school this year.
1: <laughs> exactly. It, you know, so we're going to have some skepticism in that. And yeah. we're, we're going to want to see that they've, they're spending a little more time building that, you know, that foundation of just who they are and why do they feel like they fit? Because we want to hear their story. We want to know what motivates them, why they decided this is a profession. Yeah, uh, There's a lot easier professions they can go into,
0: obviously. So let me let me stop you there, because so many students hear that from this side. But I'm assuming you have anecdotal stories of people once you accepted and then two months into class, they come to you or your office or <laughs> next door to wherever and they're like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Can you tell a story or two of that to, to help students really understand? Like the, the, the way that I explain it to students is, yes, there are, there are things you have to do. Right, they're, they're, You call them a checklist if you want, but it's for you, not the med school. It, right. So explain what that student looks like coming to you two months into school, already in debt, and, and says, uh-oh, I made a mistake.
1: Yeah, um, the students that have come, that I guess, you know, they, they tend to just get crushed. To be quite honest, by the weight mm. of the curriculum, mm. because their heart's not in it, um, you know, their mind is on other things. They're they're really doubting this is the path that they want to go into, and so now they not just have the extra debt from you know the extra semester that they have in school, um, and it's not cheap. It's not we're not a state school, and most yeah. medical schools are not state funded. So you're you're looking at private school tuition. Um, and even one semester of that is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but the they're just, you know, now they're being crushed by the curriculum, so their grades aren't good. And so now this high performing student that never really had a lot of challenges is now failing. Uh, possibly for the first time in their life. And, you know, so there's a lot of mental health issues that go with that too. There's family expectations. Now, you know, everybody and their brother is saying, my son's going to be a doctor, or my brother's going to be a doctor. And so, um, or my sister, you know, it, it's going to be hard to go back to that family. So, like you said, I mean, I hate the checklist mentality, but it is there for a reason. And and again, I, we want people to go way beyond the checklist. We don't want them to say, Oh, I actually talked to a student just last week. And he was like, I have a hundred hours. So I've checked. <laughs> he said, I've, I've done that. I've done a hundred hours. And it just, you know, I was like, please don't stop there. Yeah. You know, like do other things. Don't just say, I've got a hundred hours check. I'm done with that. Um, you know and some of these students that that have come in they've spent that time they have done all that exploration and but you know the the hardest students i feel like are the ones that they felt like they were going going into this profession for other reasons uh, family expectations just they were the smartest one in the class so everybody said oh you should Might be as well. yeah. <laughs> you know and yeah. then they realize you know and they may have believed it for a long time but then they get into it and they're just like I I just am not here. Like I can't, yeah. isn't
0: it? And there's there's no um, amount of hours on an application that can prove or disprove someone's heart, right? And so that's why you have, for you, 600 characters on, on your Akomas application to try to sh- prove, look, I have the heart for this. But then mm-hmm. students use that space for... Here is what I did, like a job duty list. Do you do you have preferences for for how you see an application and what students focus on in those activity descriptions to really help you see who they are?
1: Yeah, I mean, in the there's a there's a couple of different things. So with the experience section, obviously there's only a certain amount of characters, and it's only two hundred or two hundred fifty. It's very short. It's not very long, and yeah. so. Um. I always tell students that I want to know what you did. Like, I want to know what you saw. I want to know what responsibilities you had. I kind of want it as a bullet checklist. If, if I could have my wish, it would be a bulleted checklist. Interesting. Okay. Um, just because sometimes people get stuck on the narrative. Mm-hmm. They think that every little one, even if it's only 200 characters, has to be an essay. Yeah. And honestly, in the experience section, you don't have time for an essay. It you know There's too many filler words that get stuck in that. And so I want to know the bulleted list. I want to know the nitty gritty. What did you do? And who did, you know, what kind of uh, um, clinic was it? Was it for low income people? Was it for, you know, people wanting, you know, plastic surgery to, you know, improve their looks? You know, what kind of client base were you looking at or patient base were you looking at? But then I want to know what you did. You know, did you just shadow? Were you, you know, taking health and histories? Were you... You know, what were you doing? What did you see? Um, so that would be in that experience section. But then, you know, in, in other essays of the application, whether it's the personal statement or things, that's really where I wanna hear about your motivation. I wanna, and and within the personal statement in telling you me about your motivation and your fit for medicine, I don't want you to tell me you're a good communicator or that you love working with people. Mm-hmm. I want you to give me examples yeah. that, Tell me that without you telling me that. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, that's, I say oh. it day in and day out, Andrea.
1: Okay. All right. We're on the same <laughs> You're preaching day, to the choir. Thank goodness. <laughs> thank
0: goodness. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I tell people that all the time. Like, I, I want to hear it through you. I want to I want to know who you are through the examples you're sharing. Yeah. Yep. So.
0: Yeah. Show okay. me you have empathy. Don't tell me you have empathy.
1: Exactly. Right. Everybody can say you have empathy. You know, <laughs> yep. everybody can say that, but I want to yeah. know. Yeah. One of our students many years ago, he um, I wish I would have gotten a copy of his personal statement because it was one of the best written uh, personal statements. It was I was pretty new in this position. So I didn't have the forethought of, huh, you know, maybe someday I'll be talking about this on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But the 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 young man, he talked about how he was mentoring a, a young man. Uh, in high school who was very autistic and he got into a lot of behavioral uh, problems and but nobody would he he got to the point where nobody wanted to work with him Mm. because they you know he was very difficult and our um, our student now doctor he talked about how he was assigned to him and he was very nervous but then he found a way to connect with them and when the kid was getting into some trouble, well, then he would be one of the kids the family would ask to come in and talk with him. And so he would. And over time, his family and the teachers and the school were noticing a decrease in the behavioral issues Hmm. he said, but he was talking about how he felt like he was one of the few people that this kid trusted. And I I was just like, you know, I've I've been on the board of directors for an agency that works with people with disabilities for 20 years and i just was like oh oh my gosh like yeah. you are just like the epitome of of who would be empathetic and not be judgmental of somebody and so i i read that and i was like oh i want this guy <laughs> just, yeah you know he's who we're looking for and yeah. how how do you
0: teach reviewers admissions committees to to screen out fake right the the oh, just the the students that you you hope that you you catch and be like uh uh-uh. uh like i don't want you around any patients they yeah. they have good stats they have hours they have theoretically everything but then you, you there's just something in an application or an interview and I mean, I'm asking this question, going, oh, wait, maybe we shouldn't talk about this because we don't want the people to know <laughs> how don't to want them avoid to, uh, it. Have a secret. Yeah, but it's just an interesting question that just popped in my head of like, because I I went to med school, right, and okay. and there are classmates of mine that I'm like, how did you get through this process? Mm-hmm. The I, I would have, uh, have hoped that. <laughs> there were some red flags going off looking at your essays or your interview because I don't want you anywhere near my family members or people who I like. Right. So how, how do you do that? I'm assuming it's hard um, with how many applications did you get last cycle off the top of your head?
1: 10,000? 4,600. 4, okay. I'm looking at the stats. So right. almost
0: 5,000 applications for a couple hundred seats. Uh,
1: 172.
0: 172 yeah. seats. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of ways I could take this question, but I would say the number one thing is a one-letter word. I. Mm. Everything they say is about them. Mm -hmm. And it comes across very egotistical and very um, just arrogant. Yeah. Um, but it comes across in their application, it comes across in their interview, if everything that, you know, if you read the personal statement, and you're just like, every other word is I, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing about other people, there's nothing about helping other people, it's about all about their accolades, and all about their achievements, and all about how great they are. Um, that's like a huge turn off. And so because obviously, this is a profession that shouldn't be about you. It should be about helping other people. It should be about caring for other people and their success and their health and their, their well being. And if at the, you know, if you're writing your essays and everything is about you, well, I don't want you for my doctor, you know, I mean, how much investment are you going to have in my health? Mm-hmm. If it's going to interfere with you, you know, and, and your goals or your personal life or, you know, things like that, are yeah. you going to take the extra time? to figure out a health condition for your patient thats nobody's finding the answer to. Um, yeah. So okay. that's probably a, a big number one. And then the other is just those communication skills. You know, if, if people are, are communicating within, again, that essay the um, that there's kind of a lack of compassion for people, Um, a lack of empathy. um, And then they get to campus if, if they get the interview, if, if they get through the part um, of screening and we don't catch it, but then in the interview they're conveying, it's really about a lot. That's probably, I honestly, it's that arrogance and that number, you know, I'm number one is really the, one of the key factors. Honestly, there are, Always every year. There's always some students that get through that, you know, a year down the line, you're like, how did we miss that? But luckily it's not too many, but I don't know how to filter all of that out. I don't.
0: Thinking about, right, reviewing an application, going through that process, trying to find the students that are obviously going to be academically successful, trying to find the students that are going to fit well within your community, the location, the patient population you're serving. There are so many things you're looking for. At the end of the day, when it comes down to two students who are nearly identical, how do you make that call?
1: Honestly, it's probably who do we think? well, who do th- who do we think will come here? You know, if you're looking at two very equal students, um, there's really no defining factor between the two, but maybe one of them has a connection to this regional area, even. I mean, because we do recruit nationally. Um, it's possible that they may be the first one we call. Yeah. However, if the person I mean, and i'll just throw say somebody from Washington state cuz mm-hmm. we're from Missouri so but say you're comparing a student from say Kansas and Washington state well the Kansas school may student may have a little bit of a leg up however if the student from Washington state has been in communication with us mm-hmm. and has said i really want to come like they have said that they really are interested they really want to come here I don't have any connection to your regional area or anything like that, but I just really like your school. I really want to go there. Um, That reaching out makes a big difference, especially in those final hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You value that and and it's hard right because there are some schools that will say do not reach out we don't we don't have the bandwidth to deal with it and you're saying like it could be the difference between a rejection and an acceptance so mm-hmm. it's uh, a frustrating part of this journey for students and and for advisors like myself like you have to check with the school do they accept updates what type of updates yeah. do they accept and and uh, obviously when selecting schools i hope i i wish more students did more work in selecting the schools, then kind of research after the fact of like, why did I apply there? I don't know, like do, right. do that work beforehand so you know. And then mm-hmm. hopefully during an interview, you can express that kind of uh, excitement right. and, and desire. So that's, that's great. You are coming to MaptCon October 6th through mm-hmm. 8th in Baltimore. Talk about from a school's perspective, right? You're a director of admissions, you do a lot of recruiting of students. For you, what is it like for you to go and talk to students away from your institution maybe on some neutral ground mm-hmm. and and what are you looking for in those students that are coming up to your table saying hey i'm um, i'm johnny i'm sally
1: right you know recruitment events can vary from people not being very engaged at them to people where to where you are you know five deep at the table and you can't hardly even talk to everybody and so you know, recruitment fairs are are great, but it's it's obviously the beginning of what I hope is a future conversation. So, you know, I'm hoping that we can at least make some sort of connection to where, you know, we follow up later or the student can follow up with me later. Um, I don't, usually those events are kind of busy. So you really don't have a time to have that super long heart to heart advising session that, um, you know where the where you're asking the student to share some pretty sensitive information to get a better idea of who they are and, and their background. And so, you know, it is something where I hope students take advantage of those opportunities though because you know, when you're going to one of those fairs, you've got I mean, I don't know how many exhibitors you have, but I'm I've been to many fairs and there are a lot of exhibitors and so, you know, we're all spending a lot of money to be there. Mm-hmm. And the students should recognize that they have an opportunity to not just call and put the work effort into, you know, I'm going to reach out to this school or I'm going to reach out to that school. You you spend an hour or two hours circulating a room and getting information and getting a feel, you know, getting a feel for the people that you're talking with. Do they seem like they're really interested in you or are they just handing out papers? Um know and then follow up with the schools you know get their information and actually look at it and then follow up with the schools that you feel like you know what i i want to learn a little bit more Um, many of us at this point are doing virtual calls or virtual zoom sessions for advising with students and so we i mean i've had several this week and so um you know that's a very common thing for us um in my email signature i have a link i'm not shy about it like i have a link that if you want to connect with me through Zoom, just go on. You can look at my schedule and see what's open, and and just go on and and find a spot. A spot. Um, and so take advantage of those those opportunities. On our end, we hope to follow up with people afterwards. We hope people, you know, give us a call or or want to set up a, a session. Um, we don't always get all of the students' information though, and so we don't always. We may talk to you in person, but we may not get your you know. We may not get your information to follow up, so we do kind of. It is a little more passive, where we, you know, kind of rely sometimes on the student to follow up.
0: Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I'm excited we to
1: starting point. Yes, yeah. I'm
0: excited to have you there, um, and you can share your wisdom. I, I think you're speaking on the DO admissions panel mm-hmm. as well, so mm-hmm. hopefully students will register and meet you in person, meet me in person, mm-hmm. uh, as we wrap up here, Andrea. Any parting words of wisdom or encouragement for the student going through this process, uh, maybe in the thick of applications right now, and is just doubting themselves every single day?
1: Yeah, it does. it's a very long process, and it can be a little overwhelming. Um, what I would say is if you're doubting yourself, get a hold of a couple of schools and talk with them and see whether you're, you're on the right track. Because if you're, if you're not on the right track, if there's something that's missing, if you're not hearing anything back from schools, there's probably something missing. Um, you know, the fall, the beginning of the fall, when we start putting um, interview offers out there, they're going to be that top, you know, 20%. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to offer most of the time to many of those students first. But it's not saying that the next tier down is not a quality candidate but there may be things that you could be working on. And then we do accept updates. So send us that update, you know, in the fall and say, you've got this much more shadowing or this much more clinical, or here are my fall grades, mm-hmm. you know, get those the, get those um, uploaded into your application because the application services will allow you to do those academic updates. So, you know, share share those changes with us because that may make the difference. Um, but you can get that information by calling or talking with one of our, you know, one of our representatives. Um, you know, and the the other part of that too is just if you're finding that you're not successful this year, don't always just write it off that this is never going to work. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of students will just, it's such a hard process and it is expensive. And sometimes I I I just really, really wish that people would just wait a year And all the growth they could put into that year, they'd be a much better candidate the next year. Well, that group of students, we have a bunch of them in the pool right now. And so, you know, if you're, if you want to end up being one of those students, well, figure out what you're, what you were missing. And many schools will give you some feedback. Some won't, but there are several of us schools that do. And so if you've applied to some schools and you're, curious, what what could I have done differently? Um, You know, reach out to the schools that you applied to and the ones that are willing to give you feedback, whether that's written feedback or a Zoom feedback session, um, really take that to heart. Hmm. Because the thing that breaks my heart a little bit every single time I see this is when somebody turns right back around and reapplies the same Hmm. application they had before with very, very little updates. Yeah, And the only time that that should ever, 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 ever happen is maybe if you had a solid application, but you really tanked that MCAT and you needed to retake the MCAT, but everything else was still progressing and and doing well. And then you retook the MCAT and you did much, much better. And now you're reapplying. But in most situations, if you needed more clinical or if you needed, you know, another semester of grades or something like that, um, just take that time. It's, you know, it's, it's, it is, feels like a marathon, but there is an end in sight. Sometimes that marathon is a double marathon. You're an Ironman of the marathon, but, you know, just get that advice and then see where to go from there.
0: All right. So there you have it again. That was Andrea O'Brien from ATSU. Kirksville campus. I hope this was helpful, give you a little bit more insight. I love these where we go directly to, uh, for lack of a better term, right? Directly to the horse's mouth is a, is a phrase we use all the time. Directly to the source. That's where we want to go. Directly to the source. Again, she is only speaking for her school, but. Having reviewed thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of applications, uh, tens of tens of thousands of applications over the years, if not hundreds, uh, it's it's a good source of information and better than a premed helping premeds based on what they learned from other premeds or saying, "Hey, I got into school. Here's what you should do." So, hopefully, this was helpful. If you are looking for getting directly into Um, into this information, right? You want more of it. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you get it every single week. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.